Thanks again to the praise team for leading us in our worship uh, and our singing this morning. Thank you. I'm sure you'll all be familiar with that uh, picture today and uh, it's the most of the Scottish uh, Commonwealth Games team who headed off for the Gold Coast in Australia and uh, who've actually done very well indeed. You have cause to be proud in a non-sinful way. You have cause to be proud. I never thought I would see the day I'm a, say uh, this of the Scots. I'm a wee bitty envious um, because, as you'll see, we didn't come anywhere near. Um, look at what the, the Scots have done, that team. Nine gold medals, 13 silver medals, 22 bronze medals, a total of 44, and your eighth in the league table. I'll tell you this, um, Northern Ireland uh, is 20th <laughs> with uh, 12 medals. Wales is 7th ahead of you because it's got one more gold and they um, have uh, their 30, they have 36 medals altogether. England, second in the table with 136 medals and Australia first with 198 medals. So there you go, but you certainly have cause to be proud and there's Lindsay Sharp and Andrew Butchard looking so relaxed. But they're not always relaxed. It's easy to look at uh, sports people in that kind of image and look at them and say, look how cool they are and look how relaxed they are. But it's not always like that. Because when you look into their training regime, it's a very hard training regime in, indeed. And I was thinking of Hannah Miley. Now she lives in Inverurie. She's probably our nearest uh, person at the Commonwealth Games. Hannah Miley. And she's the swimmer in the aquatic division. And this is what she once said, I'm not the biggest. I am not the strongest. But I will be the hardest working athlete I can be. I think that's an amazing statement from a young lady to come away with that. And she was highly motivated to win at the Olympics in the medley, the swimming medley. She was hoping to, to win a gold and she was beaten by 0.26 of a second. 0.26 of a second by the... Uh, Australian girl and their, pardon? English, English girl. I, I, I wanted to avoid saying that. She by, by the English girl. Um, and, 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 but she came away with her silver and she was so very proud and had every right to be proud indeed. So there they are. They were motivated. She was highly motivated to go for this gold and she got the silver. Now you know what motivation means. It just means, as the dictionary says, it's the reason or reasons for acting or behaving in a particular way. So I want us to look this morning at three simple things about Jesus. I found myself meditating on these because uh, some months ago in the building group, I took the three headings and just reminded the building group of this in relation to our ministry and work in the building group. So I've taken these headings and I want to share something with you from them. Jesus was motivated to do the Father's will. 
You know, you cannot read the New Testament without coming away with this distinct impression that this was the first and foremost thing in the mind of Jesus. I am here on earth for a purpose. And I am so fired up about this and I'm going to fulfill this. And he was truly motivated. Look at these verses that I've listed here. Luke 2.49. This was when they went up to Jerusalem for him to become a son of the commandment. And he got lost. And they said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And the interesting words there, as you've heard probably, are my father. Because Jewish people always referred to Jehovah as the father. For Jesus, it was an intimate expression. It was showing and demonstrating that he had this unique relationship with God the Father in heaven. I had to be in my father's house. Now look at these. My food is to do the will of God who sent me. Now think of how important food is. I guess it'll be, there'll be varying reactions to that. Some of us will just love to eat our food. We could eat and eat and eat. There's, there's one honest person there. I put up two honest people. Oh my goodness. This is like a Billy Graham rally. Uh, so, so there you go. My food. And Jesus said, just as food is important and essential for physical well-being, here I am, the Son of God, but doing the will of my Father in heaven is as important to me as food. He said, I don't please myself, but God who sent me. Another amazing statement. I don't please myself. He was a man in every sense of the word. We're told he was tested and tempted in every way that we are. So there would have been the temptations to do what he wanted. You remember after 40 days of fasting, the devil said to him, Look, I'll give you bread. Make these stones into bread. You can have bread to eat in abundance. That would have been his way, not God's way. I don't please myself. He said, but God who sent me. I came from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then imagine him able to say this, I always do what pleases him. What I say is what the Father told me to say. Now, I mean, if we were to make this prayer tomorrow and say, Father, I want to go into this day, this Monday, and I want every word that comes out of my mouth to be the words that you would have me speak. I wonder what difference that would make in the places we work, in the places we live, if every word was what the Father told us to say. I love the Father, and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. That's amazing. Look at those two things, love and obedience. And the way we show our love for God is by obeying him. That's one of the main characteristics. Just as Jesus said, I love the Father and I do exactly what he commanded me. And then he was able to say, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, I, I, I was reading in preparation for last Sunday of it called Duthel, Watchman Nee's book, the practicalities of life. And he tells the story of a young man 
who was dying of tuberculosis, he had totally and utterly rejected God. But the nearer, he, the, the worse he became physically, he started to think spiritually. And it was this old gentleman came, a Christian, and witnessed to him. And eventually he had the joy of seeing this young man's life transformed. It's in his book, Practicalities of Living. It's about page 89. And in there, it tells you that he was filled with joy. But two days later when the man came back, he was this man was broken in his bed where he was lying. He was broken, he was crying, he was pouring out his heart. And this old chap said to him, what's wrong with you? What's happened to the joy? And he said, well, the reality is, I'm going soon to meet Jesus. And have nothing in my hands to give him. Nothing, no credit in heaven. And that old chap said, wrong. I am going to take those words and I'm going to write a hymn using your words. And everybody who hears that hymn and responds to God will be credited to you in the sight of God. Because you are the agent he has used to bring these words of this hymn. And he went away and he wrote a hymn. Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet. Not one soul with which to give him, lay no trophies at his feet. And so it goes on. Look what Jesus said. I've completed the work, everything the Father asked him to do. From his birth to his death, he had done here he had a choice. If you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Knowing that all was now completed, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And then he said, it is finished. And with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And this summarizes it all. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scriptures. Now I pulled those verses out of the passages. And after reading those words, you can sense the appropriateness of the word motivation. From the beginning, when he was able to think rationally as a, as a human boy at 12 years of age, when he was recognized as moving into adulthood, he was able to say, I have to be about, or in my father's house, or it used to be translated, I have to be about my father's business. He was motivated from the word go to do the will of his father. Nothing would divert him from that. He was always pressing forward using the language of the Apostle Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3. He was pressing forward to complete the work. And my friends, let's not forget how much it cost Jesus. There's a whole... Books have been written about Philippians 2 verses 6 to 8 about Jesus is self-emptying and how he left behind him in heaven all the privileges that were his because he was one person of that divine trinity. And he left all that behind and he stepped down into our world and from a palace he was born in poverty and so forth. And he lived as a servant. And so it 
cost Jesus everything short term, including the offering of his life, so that we might benefit long term. You know, if we're Christians, we sit here this morning, and we read in John chapter 1, Jesus came to his own, his own rejected him, but to all who received him, welcomed him, he gave the right, the authority, to become the children of God. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We sit here this morning, and as we were praying, your mind, like mine, may have been linking up to some things you have done in the past week, which are grievous to God, doubting him, questioning him, whatever. But look, he says there's no condemnation and we can hold our heads up by grace today and know that we will stand before God guiltless because our faith is in Jesus Christ. The one who humbled himself and came into the world and was motivated to give his life for us. I want to suggest to you the example that we should be modeling our lives on is Jesus. Nobody else. Paul said, be followers of me. But what he was doing was he was recognizing the thinking of so many Christians. Oh, I could never be like Jesus. I could never be as he was. And Paul simply saying, well look, here I am. And I've tried my best. And by God's grace, I've been able to become like Jesus. And it's unfolding more and more. He was trying to encourage us. But so the life of Jesus is a real challenge to all of us if we are prepared to study his life and his example. I wonder, I wonder how much studying you've done in the last seven days of Jesus' life an example. I've said this before. I get despairing of Bible reading notes. Not yours, William. <laughs> I get this. Let me finish what I'm saying. I get despairing of Bible notes. Do you know why? Because people read half a verse at the top of the reading. And then they read the meditation and they think, great, I've done it for today. Now, I, I'm a, a fervent reader, passionate reader of UCB notes. They come in early every morning and they're there. And guess what? Every morning the temptation is to read the text, to read the passage, and to say a prayer and move on. No, that's wrong. Because underneath the meditation, you will find the chapters in the Old Testament and the chapters or verses in the New Testament that we should read in order that we would read through the Bible in a year. But I wonder how many people feed themselves. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of God. And, and the meditation can be so helpful. But what will build us up and make us more like Jesus isn't the devotional notes, but it's allowing the power of God's word to get into our minds, to get into our hearts, and to change us. 
And as we read those things, we will get motivated, motivated, motivated to live like Jesus and to be like Jesus and to work like Jesus and to serve the Father like Jesus. So, how much time did we spend as individuals over the last seven days in reading not devotional notes, not devotional books, but in reading God's Word? How much? How much time at the telly? How much time with the magazines? How much time with God's book? Why are we not motivated so as much as we should be? Because we're not allowing the word of God to speak to us and to challenge us and to call us forward. We need to examine our lives regularly. We need to do that. To ask piercing questions. Am I as motivated as Jesus was to finish the work God the Father has given me to do? Question. Are we even aware that God has a specific plan for our lives? It's not just for people who are missionaries or ministers or evangelists. Every person, God has a plan for our lives. And you know, people think sometimes it's so complicated to discover it, but it was never meant to be. And when we give our lives completely to God, which is what he wants, he wants us to say, here's my life, unreservedly, it's yours. Unreservedly. For as long as I've got the energy and the ability to do it, I'll be out there ministering, serving you, whatever. What we need to do is, we need to be praying daily. Your will be done on earth. For example, in my life, as your will is done in heaven. And you know, my friends, when we live with that attitude, God will guide us. And God will bless us. And not only will he bless us, he will make us a blessing to others. Motivation. Secondly, Jesus was determined not to give up. I wonder how many times he, as a man, he felt, oh dear, can I go on? In the garden, is there no other way? Must I be contaminated by sin? Is there no other way? How often did he feel himself asking these questions? But look at the mind of Jesus. At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, the NIV puts it, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The New American Standard Bible, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. The Good News Translation, he made up his mind and he set out for Jerusalem. The message, he gathered up his courage and he steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. The, uh, the new King James, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Look at that. Determination, not deviation. 
emphasized in all those translations of the Bible, of those words of Jesus. Nothing stood in his mind, in his life. Nothing would divert him from doing what the Father wanted him to do. We live in a world full of challenges. Every day we have them in our homes. And not just when we're with others, when we're on our own. Challenges. Work. Church. Are we dedicated to pleasing our Father in every way? C.S. Lewis, relying on God has to start all over every day as if nothing had yet been done. So every day, C.S. Lewis is saying, we should be on our knees or in our chair talking to God and saying, this is a new day. It's like a clean sheet of paper. There's nothing written on it. Here's my life. Here's my life. And as I live in my family, as I live at work, as I meet with my friends in the church, help me to be determined to live for you. Charles Swindle says, We are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. How brilliant is that? Because that increases our faith. We look at some of the scenarios we land or we find ourselves in, and the only way we can handle them is by depending on the grace of God. And in so doing, we're, he's filling us more and more. Martin Luther King, I find this particularly interesting. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. It, it doesn't matter what age we are. God doesn't say, okay, there's the winning flag down. You can relax and just drift into heaven. Not at all. Not at all. We can find a new life. A new life serving him. It may not be the same as it's been all the years in the past, but God can lead us into new ways of serving him. And we have to keep moving forward. Jesus was determined. And if he hadn't shown that determination, we wouldn't be here today. Because he may have looked for another way round the cross. But nobody would prevent him from doing that. And when he went back to heaven, he wanted to go back and saying, here you are, Father. Before I left, we talked about this. You told me what you expected of me. It's all done. It's all done. And you know, come to think of it, 75 years is nothing compared to eternity. And we should be thinking of eternity and living with eternity's values in view. His motivation and determination stemmed from his love for the Father and all who would live on earth. And here's something for us to think about. Jesus, God's only Son, died for my sins, for me. I have a little poem here. This I received in 1965. I was in the Faith Mission Bible School 
And this was written to me by Margaret in December 1964 and into January 65. I had gone home and I'd written to Margaret to say, is there any possibility of us sitting down together for a chat to see if God may have something to say to us? How pathetic is that? Bringing God in the form of blackmail, you know. And, and Margaret agreed. And we decided to, yes, there was the the meant to have a relationship. And in 1965, some months into that relationship had started, which was done by correspondence, by the way, she wrote to me this poem, and there it is in her handwriting. My friend, beware of me lest I should do the very thing I'd sooner die than do. In some way crucify the God, the Christ in you. If you are called to some great sacrifice, and I should come to you with frightened eyes and say, take care, take care, be wise, be wise, see through my softness then a friend's attack, and bid me, get me straight behind your back, to your own conscience and your God be true, lest I place Satan to the Christ in you. This was Margaret after having thought of the yes we gave each other. And she realized she had a responsibility for my life as well as I had. She was not to be number one. That was Jesus' spot. And if she said or did anything that was going to usurp his spot, she had to go. And then she, was, she went on to write, And I would humbly ask of you in turn, that if one day in me love's fire should burn to whiteness, and a voice should call, bidding me leave my little for God's all, if need be, you would thrust me from your side, so keep love loyal to the crucified. And guess... Margaret meant every word of that. I don't know where she found the poem. I don't know if she wrote the poem. I don't know. But that displayed to me her determination. That come what may, Jesus was going to be first in her life. All her life. And she wanted me to be like her and to follow in Jesus' steps. Jesus found the Father's will perfect, so would she. And we came to adopt the verse of Scripture. For this, God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And that is what is on our headstone in Tarvis. And the last thing, Jesus was deeply appreciated in heaven. For those of you who were brought up in the Presbyterian Church, you may remember singing in the Psalms. And in Psalm 24, Ye gates lift up your heads on high, ye doors at last for a Be lifted up that so the King of glory enter may. But who of glory is the King? The mighty Lord is this. Even that same Lord that great and might and strong in battle is. The Lord of hosts and none but he. The King of glory is. Alleluia. Amen. It's a great para it's a great psalm to sing.
when we were in, were you on the minister's trip to, in 1979? 29 of us went and we would get into an airport and we would gather around and we would sing psalms. One or two at the most. And we used to always sing this psalm. And the men would break into their harmonies. And you would go into the shops and the people would say, the, the assistants say, I don't care if you buy anything. Just sing or talk. They were so happy to hear Scots and Irish accents. But this was always one of the hymns we would sing. And Jim Heron and some of the other great saints would go into their harmonies. And it would echo around the airport. They were prophetic words describing Jesus and his return to heaven. There he was. See the conquering hero comes. Everything the father had asked him to do was done. And with that in mind, Paul wrote, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And sadly... Some give up. Life is strewn with many people who started off with a commitment to Christ. And then, as time went on, it got pushed more and more and more out of life. I know that in my family. It happens. And Jesus in John 6 was in the same experience he watched some of the disciples walking away and he turned to those that were still with him and said are you going to leave me as well every time we take a step away from Jesus his heart aches 1 Corinthians be strong we're in a non-Christian culture. We need to be strong and stand firm for Jesus in, in this situation of morality changing and so many things different. Be immovable. Being faithful to the teaching of God's work. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Not complaining or being half-hearted. For you know that nothing you do is ever useless. Everything we do... God will use to bring glory to him. So Jesus was motivated to serve his father. Are we? Jesus was determined not to give up. Are we? Jesus was deeply appreciated in heaven. Will we be? Well done, good and faithful servant. Will we hear it? Oswald Chambers, born in Aberdeen, and then studied part of his life in Scotland as well, became a great minister and teacher, and his, one of his best-known books is My Utmost for His Highest, Daily Readings. And on the 18th of May, if you buy the book, there's one called Careful Unreasonableness. And I finish with these words. If you want to be of use to God, which I'm sure all of us do, get rightly related to Jesus Christ. Make him, put him at the heart of our being and he will make use of you unconsciously every moment you live. 
That's the challenge for today. Get close to Jesus. Let him motivate us. Let us capture his dedication so that the day will come when we will be appreciated for the lives we have lived to bring glory to God. We're going to join together